0: The Hamlet podcast, episode one hundred and sixty-three. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet, with me your host Connor Hanrahan. It seems almost unbelievable that we have come to the final scene of the play. So much of the last year has been unimaginable and frustrating, and indeed sometimes hopeless, but it has been a comfort to have this project as an anchor every weekend. I shall endeavour not to be mawkish or sentimental during the episodes that remain. There are, after all, more than 400 lines still ahead of us, but I'm nonetheless very happy that we've made it this far. Hamlet has likewise survived until now, and here he enters a room in the castle accompanied by Horatio. As we've come to expect, Shakespeare has them enter in mid-conversation, giving us only the essentials. Hamlet seems significantly calmer than he was at the end of the previous scene, overcome with emotion in the graveyard. One might have thought that Shakespeare would give us the information of how he managed to escape and return from the trip to England, and in fact we're going to get it now. Whatever they've been talking about before they reached this room, Hamlet is eager to change the subject. Maybe Horatio has been wondering if he's feeling all right, Hamlet is also holding some papers, another thing to which the actor can refer. Don't forget, in his letter in Act 4, he promised that he had things to tell Horatio that would strike him dumb. Hamlet leads the scene immediately. So much for this, sir. Now shall you see the other. You do remember all the circumstance. Never mind what's on this piece of paper, he's saying, and you'll soon see what's on the other. He asks Horatio if he remembers the circumstances. Obviously he had written vaguely about what he was going through, but poor Horatio must be getting frustrated by now trying to hear. He asks, remember it, my lord. How could he have forgotten? Hamlet now continues. Sir, in my heart there was a kind of fighting that would not let me sleep. Methought I lay worse than the mutins in the bilboes, Rashly, and praised be rashness for it, let us know our indiscretion sometimes serves us well when our deep plots do pall and that should teach us there's a divinity that shapes our ends rough hew them how we will. Hamlet has called Horatio Sir twice in this scene already. I don't know if he's trying to get or keep his attention or just to add a little formality to the shocking news he has to share as if to emphasise it. He explains that he was restless and could not sleep. He describes this fighting in his heart as being worse discomfort than the mutins in the Bilboes. Mutines or mutines perhaps, would be mutineers or rebels. It was a terrible crime to attempt mutiny, and so those who did, and did not succeed, were typically locked up in heavy iron chains, The word Bilbo here refers to a particular kind of device used to chain the ankles of such prisoners, particularly on board ships. The name comes from Bilbao in Spain, which was a city famous for its ironworks. I would love to be able to tell you that there's some sort of a link between this Bilbo and the famous hobbit of the same name, but I'm afraid this is rather unlikely thus tormented by raging insomnia and all that was understandably on his mind, Hamlet gets out of bed. Here he gets sidetracked and starts talking about how sometimes it's actually a good idea to act rashly. Rashly, he says, and praised be rashness for it, let us know, our indiscretion sometimes serves us well when our deep plots do pall. He maintains that rashness or indiscretion is sometimes a good and a useful thing, particularly when our deep plots or more thought out ideas might fail us. Differing versions of the text have Paul or Fall here, both work giving the sense of plans falling through. Hamlet continues, this allowance for rashness should teach us there's a divinity that shapes our ends, rough hew them how we will. Even though we make our shoddy, rough attempts to carve out our own destinies, he's saying, there's a divinity that shapes them. Hamlet is starting to sound quite metaphysical now, suggesting that things are as much in God's hands as his own. As usual, Horatio simply gets to agree and he says, that is most certain. Now Hamlet gets back to the story. Up from my cabin, my sea-gown scarfed about me in the dark groped i to find out them had my desire fingered their packet and in fine withdrew to mine own room again making so bold my fears forgetting manners to unseal their grand commission where i found horatio oh royal knavery an exact command larded with many several sorts of reasons, importing Denmark's health and England's too, with, ho such bugs and goblins in my life, that on the supervise, no leisure baited, no, not to stay the grinding of the axe, my head should be struck off. So, in a nutshell, Hamlet got out of bed, put his sea-gown around himself like a scarf, and groped about in the dark trying to find Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. As we remember, they were tasked with chaperoning him on his trip to England. Hamlet says he had his desire. He found them. Presumably, while they slept, he pilfered their papers, their packets, and having found the documents he was looking for, he says that in fine, in conclusion, he withdrew to his own room. Even in this kind of captivity, he seems to get away with having his own quarters on the ship. Once there, he decides to open the sealed documents to have a look at them. Hamlet makes quite a big deal of this. He says that his concerns and fears over the contents made him forget his manners, being so bold as to unseal this grand commission. We see this in a number of other plays by Shakespeare too, that it's quite a big deal to break the seal of a letter that isn't addressed to you. Just as well he did, of course. What did he find, Horatio? Royal knavery. As Hamlet explains it, these papers contain a direct command to the reader that Hamlet should be decapitated immediately. The pages are, as Hamlet puts it, larded or greased, with many several sorts of reasons, all to do with the health of both Denmark and England, not to mention all of the bugs and goblins in Hamlet's life. Evidently, there's a strong attempt to make it appear that this is a national security issue for both countries, compounded by the madness that Hamlet has been displaying. What the goblins might refer to is anyone's guess, but clearly somebody has been exaggerating to make Hamlet look crazy, dangerous and worth killing. The instructions are very blunt, if you'll forgive the pun. As soon as the document is read, on the supervise, and with no delay, no leisure baited, not even the time it might take to sharpen or grind the axe, his head should be cut off. Of course, this is outrageous. Horatio is all but struck dumb, as promised, and his response is simply to ask, is't possible? As ever, Hamlet has more to say after this, but we'll save what is to come for the next episode. Be sure to visit the website thehamletpodcast.com for the show notes and the full text that accompany this and every episode. You can also find a page for each scene of the play, giving the text laid out in an easy-to-read format with a playlist of all of the episodes covering that particular scene. There's plenty of extra information in the glossary, not to mention the full collections covering the basics, the book club and our several bonus episodes. I hope that you're well and staying positive as best you can. I'm grateful, as always, for your company, and I'll speak to you next time.